For our scripture reading today, we'll first turn to Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is what Peter quotes in chapter 3, where we'll find our text. We'll read Psalm 34. The title above it says, It's a psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. But he blesses the Lord for his, his goodness, for his help, despite the circumstances. Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Turning now to 1 Peter chapter 3 is where we'll find our text for this morning. And we'll read the verses 8 through 12. 1 Peter 3, beginning at verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil 
and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. As far the reading of God's word. Dear congregation, today is Thanksgiving Day. As I briefly mentioned earlier, Thanksgiving often is seen when we can notice the contrast with the, the, what we have in our lives, the, the war versus peace, or the grace and the mercy of God versus our misery or condemnation in, in sin. And the Lord Jesus also gives, shows us a contrast in, in, in the Scriptures. Once He healed the lepers from their leprosy, and ten lepers came to him, and he showed how all ten lepers came and cried for help because they all suffered from the same sickness. They all came to him for the same mercy, and they all called upon him, and the Lord, he, he healed them all. He gave them all the same instructions to go to the priest. He had the same compassion on them all, and yet in the end, only one came back to praise God and to thank the Lord Jesus Christ. So even here, the Lord gives a contrast of the one leper who came back in true gratefulness, thankfulness for his healing compared to the other nine who simply went on their way, thankful for the healing in their own way, and yet failing to give God the glory. And so it is, in the hearts of God's people. There is a thanksgiving that is manifest in their hearts, in their lives, in their actions. And before we came to the Lord's table, we also were called, it says in the third part of our self-examination, to carefully examine our conscience to see if we are determined to show true thankfulness to God in every area of life. It's a critical part of a, a, a child of God, and that we would walk sincerely before His face by striving to lay aside all hostility and hatred and envy, resolving from this day forward to live in true love and peace with your neighbor. And this is what Peter is saying here, to this you were called, called to live and act like Christ, called to follow the one who saves you, called to live a life of thankfulness, uh, display to the God who has delivered you from the sin of this world and of our heart. And so we need to ask ourselves, what lives in our hearts? Do we resemble that one leper who comes back to God in thanksgiving, or do we continue on our way like the other nine simply happy in the blessings or in the gifts rather than the giver. And so these, these actions are motivated out of, a, out of a thankful heart, out of gratitude, compared to those who are not motivated by gratitude to God, <clears throat> and specifically to His unspeakable gift in Jesus Christ. And so why is it 
How do we begin to see, as we considered yesterday, if our attitude reflects that of Christ? How do we begin to see if Christ is being formed in us by His Spirit? Well, that is also by <clears throat> be conformed to His life in our actions. And when our attitude is conformed to Christ, that will also come out in how we live and how we act in, in this life. And so Jesus said, My sheep hear His voice, and they follow Me. We follow Him in the path that He walked, in the footsteps that He walked. We obey His voice as He said, If you love me, keep my commandments. <coughs> Excuse me. And so our theme this, after, or this morning sorry, for the Thanksgiving service is called to a Christ-like action. Called to Christ-like action. And first, we see that in refraining from sin. Refraining from evil. Though the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted in every point like as we are, yet He was and remained without sin. And this is why He's also able to sympathize with His people, with the people in this world, because He also faced those trials and those temptations and those weaknesses. He knows what we have gone through. He knows what you struggle with, the oppositions you face in this world, and the burdens of your heart, and the sins that you face each day. And yet, He calls us to this very high standard to be without sin, refrain from evil. Verse 9 says, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. And verse 10 says, he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Often the first place it comes out of us is in our tongue, that unruly evil. And so he's saying, stop retaliating. Stop repaying evil with evil. And he's summarizing here what he's been discussing in the previous chapter or two about a submission to authority, of how we respond to authorities, particularly those who use it in the wrong way. But we also teach our children from a young age already not, not to retaliate, not to hit back, not to fight with one another. Because that seems that's a natural reaction of our hearts to, to, to lash out, to repay evil with evil, to start hitting our brother or sister or friend as soon as they say something or do something that we don't like. That's not only true for children. When people grow up, it still happens as well. And most often there's no authority difference either. It's one person trying to be better than the other. But Peter here, in the context of authority, is telling us, do not repay with evil. If someone in authority over us give, does evil to us, do not revile, do not slander, do not speak evil of in return. Maybe you can think of a husband or wife, if it's not going well in their relationship, especially if it, if they, if it goes bad, then there can be such animosity, such slandering of one another, where there used to be love, now it's turned into bitterness and hatred, and, and it comes out in these ways. 
But there is always a proper way to call out evil for what it is. And you can think also of the wars even now. There is a just way to defend a nation from war and from an attack. That's a, that's a duty of the, of the civil government. But when a government does evil to its people, to, if it slanders its people, if it degrades its people, then there is a need to speak out against those actions of the government. But there is a proper way and a proper place to do so. But he's saying we must not slander, we must not repay evil with evil. And it's very sad to see that in our own nation and nations around the world, it's, when it comes to the debate or discussions between two parties, it seems to be nothing but slander, nothing but evil towards one another. And this in the leadership of our country. But Peter calls us to refrain from evil, especially in the face of opposition. That seems to be the place where it's the most difficult to show a godly attitude. And so we have to refrain from evil both in our response to those mistreating us or refrain from evil when those in authority over us would tell us to do evil would demand of us to do something contrary to God's will. But the desire of a, of, a, of a child of God is to obey God rather than man. It sees the wisdom of God, the wisdom of His Word and His ways. And we don't obey God because someone else tells us to or to, is forcing us to. But we refrain from evil because there's a thankfulness. There's a gratitude to God for what Christ has done for you. Because Christ has done something much greater. Christ has faced something much more than we face. He came to do His Father's will. And in chapter 2, verse 21, Peter also calls us to follow in the footsteps of Christ, that He has set an example for us, he says in verse 21. We are to walk as He walked, because His Holy Spirit not only dwells with us, but in us the Spirit of Christ in us to, to teach us and to guide us. He says in verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. And this is where Peter says we're called to follow Christ. But it's also, if we think a little further, this is as far as we can follow Christ, because Christ walked further. Peter goes on to say in verse 23, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And for this reason we have died to sin and might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Christ bore this reproach willingly. The reproach that comes upon His people, and not only, but the reproach that comes against Him, even by us, even before we were saved. If Christ bore this for us in our stead, shall we not bear reproach for His namesake in this world? And so we refrain from evil because it says we've been healed by His stripes delivered from the power of sin. His suffering and His death is the reason why 
we are able by His grace to refrain, washed in His blood, renewed in His Spirit. There's a new life. There's a new attitude. There's a new action. So then we think, well, how can I? How can I do such evil in the face of wicked men, knowing what Christ suffered on our behalf? Not simply to to receive reviling, but then to take it on behalf of His people and to go even further and take the punishment for our sins under the wrath of God. And so Christ not only calls us, but enables us to do as He commands us, giving us grace to hold our peace in the face of opposition, to not repay evil, to not let that tongue loose when those thoughts might come to our mind. We refrain ourselves from those actions we might be spurred to do when we see the people across the street hurtling accusations against us and all sorts of blasphemy against God and His people. But you refrain from oppressive from sin when we're faced with oppressive and unloving actions against us. Whether it's from the government, whether it's from abusive masters, unbelieving spouse, or anyone else. But it begins in the very beginnings, with the children, with us in ordinary settings. We learn to do it in the simplest and ordinary settings is where God begins to teach us, where there is peace between one another. And you grow as the Lord increases the the trials in our life as we begin to face increasing opposition in the world for His name's sake. We've already been trained from a young age to face this in the world. And 1 Thessalonians 5 says, abstain from every form of evil, every appearance of evil. Keep your distance from it, because our conduct will reveal that character, that attitude of what is in us. Again, we think of Christ as He was, as He faced that slander from the Roman soldiers, as He was mocked, and as He was spit upon and beaten, as He faced that hatred and enmity from his own people in various ways seeking to kill him and to accuse him. But he refrained from evil so that he could be that spotless lamb to take our place because we do not perfectly refrain from evil. We are not able of our own, but he in our place as a spotless lamb and then came as that one sacrifice to God to pay for our sin. And now He gives His grace and Spirit to enable us to begin that life of renewal. And so the motivation for you and for me is thankfulness to God for His unspeakable gift in Jesus Christ, taking our sins upon Himself. And so it is as we face those who oppose Christ or oppose us, it's done in a spirit of love for their souls. It's done in a spirit of love for Christ who gave His life. It's done to bear witness to them of what Christ has done for us. And so then, secondly, we not only refrain, but turn from evil. Verse 11 says, 
let him turn away from evil and do good. See, Christ, when He was in this world, He had no sin, but we were born in, and conceived in sin and iniquity. That's where we begin. And so there must be that turning away from it and moving away from it. He says in, in chapter 2, verse 25, you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. There's returning to what you were initially created to be, to worship God and to serve Him forever. Adam and Eve were created in that perfect ability to, to worship God, to serve Him, to obey Him, and to live with Him forever. And that repenting, that turning, is that continually turning away from sin and to God to live as He has created you to be. The story of Joseph is one that's well known to us. You know, children, how he, he worked in Potiphar's house as a faithful servant. He gave him much freedom and ability to, to move around and to do as he needed. But Potiphar's wife wanted to commit adultery with him, and she kept trying to seduce him until Joseph finally said, how can I do this wickedness and sin against God? How can I sin against my master? And in the end, he turned and he ran. He ran from wickedness, from temptation. And we must turn from all evil, not just in our tongue, but from sin. And especially sexual immorality. Young people, old people, everyone. God says, turn and run. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lusts. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee fornication. This is not a sin you can stand and fight against. This is not a sin you can stay in the presence of. But God says, run. Turn from the evil. And today, with the internet in most of our hands, most of the day, at very young ages, how great that temptation is to draw you in. How great that temptation is to cause each other to sin. Have you seen this? Do this, do that. All these advertisements that pop up, even on, even on your, your, your email sites, they, they, the advertisements try to draw you in. They tempt you. They lure you. Or how easy it is to slander on these things. How easy it is to write notes on a computer and have no face associated with it. You slander others so easy because you think you can be disconnected with You speak evil. You speak lies. It seems that we can in a way, be disconnected from the reality of that conversation, feel free to let it out, and yet God says, flee this evil, this slander, this wickedness. And this social media and this internet can be so destructive, especially to young people. There's numerous studies out there to show how it affects especially young people. Now, parents, I beg you, don't let this destroy your child's soul mind, and life. Don't let something as simple as a cell phone be the very means to rob your child of blessing of God. In church, specifically, I want to address. Do not use cell phones in church, please. 
There's nothing more distracting to those around you and to you yourself. Nothing more that can hinder you so easily from receiving God's word that the little bird comes before the seed even falls down on the hard soil and takes it away. If you have a cell phone, if your children have it, please, please, please throw it away from them so they can hear God's word. I beg you, refrain, turn from sin. We all need the grace of God to thankfully run to Him. But the power of evil is so great in our own heart. But God is greater who can turn us from it and who can turn us to Himself that our heart's desire would be to seek Him and His glory. We sang of Psalm 40 how, how, how the psalmist delighted in the Lord and praised God for delivering him out of that harmful pit and enabling him to walk on that solid rock and to follow God's Word. And how grateful we can be. He is the great shepherd who does not let his sheep go, who patiently continues to teach us and to lead us in the right way. If it's not for him, it wouldn't, none of us would be here. But he is the one who drew us. He continues to teach children and adults in the way even though we, like sheep, have gone astray and do so so often. And he says to us in Isaiah, wash yourself. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. It's as if God is pleading with you. And then he says, cease to do evil and learn to do good. Oh, how these words are such a comfort. God says, cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Yes, the greatest of sinners. God says, come, learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Because everything that we do is open for the, before the eyes of the Lord. He sees. He knows all things. He who has created the eye, shall he not see? He who created the ear, shall he not hear? He who created the mouth, shall he not speak? And he says, stop. Cease to do evil. Because that's not the way, but learn, learn to do good. And that's the whole life of a believer. The whole life from beginning to end. Learning, learning, learning to do good. 3 John 11 says, Do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Friends are so quickly drawn into this imitating one another, imitating evil as a sport. Do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Because he who does good is of God, but he who does evil is not, has not seen God. The reason we sin, the reason we do evil, is because we believe the lie that Satan started in paradise. He tempted us to believe that, that obeying sin is more rewarding than obeying God. The reason we retaliate is because we trust that getting them back is somehow better for us and would make us win. The reason we speak evil is because we think that that's how we can defend ourselves. That's how we can get the upper hand if we cut them down with slander. The reason we pursue immorality is because we believe the lie that this is where you find happiness and satisfaction instead of where God has said you need it. 
The reason we disobey our parents is because we believe the lie that our wills are better. The reason we hide things from our parents is because we believe the lie that, we, that our parents will just rob us of any fun or any good. The reason we disobey God is because we did believe the lie of Satan. But now, by the grace of God, you turn from evil. You no longer trust these deceptive ways of Satan. You no longer trust even your own heart. Because the Bible says our hearts are deceptive, desperately wicked. Because you see that this is no longer the way to victory or to joy or to peace. It brings no peace. It brings no happiness. It brings no thankfulness. It only brings bitterness. It brings shame. And the Lord calls, come, learn of me. Proverbs 14, verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. We thought we knew what was right. We thought we knew the way, but sin always ends in death. Come, learn, God says, there's another way in Christ. You turn from evil because it grieves your heart. It grieves your master. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Run. Thankfulness motivates you to flee from sin. But then thirdly, we don't not only resist sin, we not only turn from sin, but then he says here, pursue what is good. Pursue it. Second half of verse 11 Let him seek peace and pursue it. Turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Why does God say seek and pursue? If you are in Christ, do you not already have peace with God? Yes. But that peace is not always enjoyed, not always shared, not always lived in. And peace is easily lost in this world. Peace is difficult to achieve. It's true in this world. It's true between people. It's true in our own hearts. How quickly that peace is shattered. A peace of assurance with God. A peace of the joy of salvation in Christ. And sin and backsliding or even just a careless life will result in the loss of peace. Even just simply carrying on and not actively pursuing it allows it to simmer down, to to wither away. And before we know it, there's a loss of assurance. Or if there's a certain sin in our life, it raises questions in our hearts. Well, is it right? It drives us back to the Holy Spirit. But our sins also drive back the Spirit. And then, his, and then His presence is not known and felt as it might have been before. When we repay evil with evil or reviling for reviling, if our tongue doesn't refrain from speaking evil or slander to others or speaking lies and deceits, then our conscience loses its peace. And then we're not walking as Christ walked. 
but it's also true that if our conscience is quiet and we are living in sin, that's not a good sign. That means that there's no conviction of sin and no work of the Spirit to convict you there. And then there's also no need seen of your heart to turn to the Lord, to flee from that sin and repentance, seeking for cleansing. And so there must be that continual seeking peace, that continual pursuing it, that continual coming to Christ to apply His blood for the washing and for the cleansing, for the daily renewal that a Christian needs. We must pursue it, which means to chase it until you catch it. And so the leaving sin goes together with the pursuing of peace and the pursuing of doing good. You cannot live in a vacuum. You cannot live just without evil. You must replace it with good. Peace with God and peace with each other. Now in the Kalahari Desert, there's a local tribe that lives there, and when they hunt, they use the persistent method, it's called. And so they go with a group of men, and they run through the desert, and they're looking for this herd of kudu. And when they find a herd, they'll follow it, and they'll try to get one of the large animals to break off. And, and when they have one on their own, they start to follow it, because then it's easier to, to pursue it, and they can follow one set of tracks. And when this animal begins to run away in, in fright, then one runner particularly, he will follow this animal, and it will run after this animal. It will pursue this animal. And this takes persistence because there's a lot of times this animal will dart into a valley or dart into the bush, and then they have to slow down and start finding those tracks again and think of where he might have gone. And, and then they have to pick up that track again, and then they find it, and then they begin to run again. And when they finally get close enough, they, they, they go into the full out chase, the runner and the deer running as fast as they can. It's a test of endurance because four legs are faster in the short term, but two legs are more efficient and can last longer. And these people have done it for years, and they run until that animal collapses. And he can take and he can kill it. And sometimes it lasts for eight hours. He pursues the kudu. And this is the picture that God gives when He says, Seek peace and pursue it. Pursue after this peace until you catch it. It's a hunt of endurance. It's very easy to lose sight of this peace. It seems like I can hide so easily or get lost so easily, so difficult to find, so difficult to keep up with. The hunters had to carefully track those animals in those places. They could not see it anymore. And so we also have to carefully pursue that peace with one another. As we heard yesterday, that brotherly love, that unity, that peace. To, we need to track its progress. We need to see the tracks where it's, been, where it's been making. We need to actively seek for it, learn to do this good. Why is it so important? Well, Christ is that Prince of Peace, and He brings His, His kingdom of peace. And peace is the result of that spirit of unity dwelling together. Peace with the brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, and but how quickly we can lose sight of that peace. How quickly a word can come out wrong. How quickly a word can be misunderstood. How quickly we can neglect someone else in their need, and then it seems like that peace is gone. 
how quickly there seems to be lack of effort, and then we start thinking negatively of each other. Or there's a lack of sympathy in a time of, of need, a lack of love, a lack of humility in how we, we walk or act with one another. And then we lose sight of that peace in the community of the saints. And then we have to find where did we lose it? Where did it go into the bush? Where did it hide in the gully? Where are the tracks that we last seen? How can we regain this peace in our midst? Or we have it in our families with parents and children. There's days that we're busy, we're tired, and suddenly those words come out harsh. Suddenly there's anger, there's frustration. There's a lack of expression, of love expressed. The children feel neglected. The parents seem or feel that they've been disobeyed or, or a bad attitude. And then the parents have to search in the sand and say, where did we lose that peace? Where, where is it hiding? How come it's so quickly and so suddenly gone? It seems like life is a constant pursuit of peace. Paul says in Ephesians 4, we must endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Endeavor to keep, seek, and pursue Here's where Christ comes and reminds us again that ultimately He is the one who gives this peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. That's where it begins. Not as the world gives do I give unto you. Begins being right with God, seeking reconciliation with God, seeking washing daily from our sins with God. I have gone wrong here. I have sinned here. I have broken this peace because of my neglect or my actions. And then we need to reconcile with one another. And we seek this peace with one another because we know that we have found this peace with God. We know what it tastes like. We know that we need it. And it was obtained by Christ who committed no evil, nor was deceit found in His mouth, who when He was reviled did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Your peace came through this action of Christ, this work of Christ who laid down his life for you, and now who conforms you to his image in the attitude and in your actions by the Holy Spirit. And so your desire for peace toward others comes out of the gratitude to God and the grace of God. Jesus even said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And this is the way he calls us to seek that, that, that peace. Do not repay evil with evil. Do not, no reviling for reviling, but contrary wise blessing. Refrain from his tongue from evil and his lip from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. The peace comes by living that peace, by not paying evil with evil, by not slandering, by not entering into sin. It's the attitude and actions of the heart being conformed to Christ, the Prince of Peace. And those who are being conformed to Him, 
will one day be made like him when he appears. Hebrews 12 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. As if we think it does not matter how we live, we're not pursuing peace. We're not reflecting Christ. And then we seek peace not because someone is forcing us to, but then it's even the very opposite. It is when opposition comes to us. Again, think of the, 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 the submission to authority, the facing the persecutions. How do we seek peace when it comes against us with such force and power from those either in authority against us or those in great opposition against us? Refrain from evil. Learn to do good. Out of a thankful heart to God, who for who, Christ who gave his life for us, who lived this life not only by example, but for the sake of his people, to whom he will conform to be able to live that way beginning when you are saved. So is Christ in you this Thanksgiving day? And are you living out of this gratitude to Christ? Are you seeking this peace which God has made in Christ? for yourself and for others, yes, even for those who hate you, those who persecute you, those who slander you. Christ has also come for people like them, for those who, like the Hamas right now, are attacking Israel, for those who right now in their own country from the transgender community are reviling Christians. There are those for whom Christ laid down his life, who did not repay evil with evil, or reviling for reviling, and that he might deliver them from the bondage of sin. And he uses you, he uses us in this world to live like Christ, that our actions may be seen in this world, that he may see why is a Christian able to bear with thankfulness, with rejoicing, the adversity in this life, the adversity of sickness, the adversity of reproach, because we don't end in ourselves. This world is not our end, but we end in Christ, whom we desire to be like when He returns. Is this your Thanksgiving day? Amen.